Hey guys and welcome to or back to the Pause in Pursuit podcast with your host Summer Clark. Now before we begin I just want to say that I hope you all had a great Christmas and it will have been New Year's by the time this is up so New Year's as well for me. I'm recording this the Friday before so it's yet to come this weekend for me but yeah um, I hope you're all excited to see what 2023 brings especially in the agility world that is very exciting. Um, I've set myself some goals, uh, short and longer term, um, and I hope you all have too. Just put in the comments down below what your goals are, because I'd really like to hear them. Uh, but today, we are going to be talking about contacts. Now, this was requested when I asked for episode ideas, um, and it is to run or not to run. So, running contacts versus stop contacts. And it has always been a debate in agility, and there's always been a mixture between the two. So I'm just going to go over more detail about the both of the methods and which one I think is more effective and beneficial. And yeah, just compare them really to give you a bit more of an insight into the difference. And so you can maybe make your mind up which one to choose. Um, so let's start with running contacts. So you probably already know what all of these things are. But for anyone that doesn't, running contacts is where the dog runs all the way over the contact without stopping at great speed so uh, they are trained to target so the dog is trained to target a mat and it you start training on the flat so you just put the mat on the floor uh, i'm not going to go into too much detail about how you train running contacts um in this episode if that is something you want then please do tell me but yeah you start teaching them with the mat on the floor rewarding them for making contact with the mat you know just building that association between interacting with the mat and getting rewarded uh, I trained it with the manners minder with the arrow and when I tried to retrain Ethel but we'll get on to retraining in a minute um, and then once they've got it on the flat successfully uh, you know you want like a overnight 90% success rate before putting it on the plank so then you put it on a plank uh, just the down plank of the dog walk so we are talking about the dog walk at the moment uh, we'll move on to A-frame again in a minute but for the dog walk, you put it on the plank and then you would put it on, you know, attach it to the whole dog walk, you know, maybe do the top plank and then the down plank, then the full dog walk, but low and then gradually move it up. So that's basically how you progress with it. But yeah, basically the criteria is the mat is on the contact area um, of the dog walk and the dog has to run across and make contact with the mat before leaving the piece of equipment. So that is how we teach our dogs to have a running dog walk. Um, but so now I'll go into sort of the pros and the cons and comparing the two. So running contacts are faster than stop contacts as the dog keeps momentum. So there's no hesitation at all. They're often over it in one to like, two seconds. Um, probably some of the faster dogs like one point something. Um, I'll have to have a look at the actual if there's some actual stats. If anyone knows, please let me know because that would be interesting. Um, However, they are harder to train. So the criteria is harder for the dog to understand and harder for us to teach the dog. Um, and it takes longer to perfect. So I know this firsthand because I've taught arrow running contacts from scratch. And he is now October, November, December. He is now three years and two months old. Math can't do it. Anyway, yeah, three months and three years. Oh my God, three years and two months old. And I am still trying to perfect his running dog walk. Um, Again, I don't want to say it, but touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. He doesn't usually miss it. Like, he is pretty good at the moment, but I'm just working on getting him to extend more over the top so that he goes deeper. Because the deeper he goes, so the further down towards the floor to the down plank of the contact, 
he goes, the more likely he is to get it consistently every time. So to do that, I'm having to try to lengthen his stride across the dog walk and on the down plank, which I think will come with confidence. So as he feels more confident running over the dog walk, he should naturally get faster. And as he gets faster and more driven, so there's no hesitation at all, he should lengthen his stride as he's so confident and so sure of what he's doing that he'll just power across it in a, in a race with me. So he is getting there, you know, he, he gets it, but his hits can be quite high at the moment. So I'm working on making them deeper just to make him more consistent and, you know, make it more likely for him to hit every single time. Because if the dog has a high hit, then sometimes they might just get off it, if that makes sense. Whereas if, if they have a deep hit, even their high hits would still be, you know, clear. Like they wouldn't get faulted for it. They'd still be in the contact zone, if that makes sense. So they do take longer to perfect. And like I said, it's something you can start very soon on the floor, like you putting the mat on the floor because it's there's no impact on their joints whatsoever. Obviously, you want to wait till they're physically mature to actually put it on contact equipment and stuff. But it's something you can start to teach and play around with when they're young. So Arrow has been doing it for a very long time now. Um, but again, I haven't had access to a dog walk and still don't really have access to a dog walk on a regular basis, like maybe every two weeks or something we probably do it in our training class now so it's quite difficult in the winter especially because I haven't been able to hire the the outdoor field that has a dog walk in it I used to do that in the summer two like twice a week once or twice no yeah I'd say about once a week um in the thick of when I was in the thick of sort of training it so obviously now the ground is not suitable so I can't I'm not really being able to train it at the moment but that's another thing it really depends on training frequency how fast you can progress so don't take it as oh it took Arrow this long to learn it this is how long it takes all dogs to learn it take it as more this is how long it took me because I had had and still have limited access to equipment uh, as in the dog walk and space to train because obviously you need a decent amount of space to actually set up a dog walk um, and have the dog safely have a good run up to it and a good run off it and I just don't have that in the garden obviously so yeah it depends on how often you can train you'll probably half the time it took to me to train Arrow if you can train every day for example um, but yeah so it depends but generally running contacts are do take longer to train than stopped uh, but again, it's all dependent dog to dog. Like I say, take everything I'm saying with this is more, you know, generally and my experience. Um, it's not set in stone and it's different for everyone. But so just keep that in mind throughout this episode. Um, and also with running contacts, some handlers do struggle to keep up with the dog when they're doing running contacts, which can put them dangerously behind when they're competing. So say, for example, in your higher grades, you might have a dog walk in a course say tunnel dog walk and then around the back of a jump well the dog's in the tunnel if our dog has a running contact we want to absolutely leg it down that contact and beat the dog to the end of the contact to be there to give it its round the back man however some people some handlers just and i could like if you had a big fast border collie i would really struggle to beat it to the end of a dog walk say i'd probably i think i'd just make it with arrow potentially (laughs) um but yeah, if ha- if a handler can't beat their dog to the end of a running contact and don't have a very, very good list of verbals that the dog just hears and does, even if you're not with it, then some handlers can struggle to be there to give the next command. So it can stop them from getting in the correct position 
to lead the dog around the course after the dog walk, if that makes sense. So that can be a downfall. But again, it can be overcome by teaching really strong verbals. So like around the back verbal, other end of the tunnel verbal, weave entry verbal, anything that could come after a dog walk, for example. Um, so again, it can be it can be sorted out. Um, and I suppose these are our top handlers that can teach their dog these things. But again, it just adds it's more difficult and it's a higher level of training, but it's so worth it. And it's so fun, in my opinion. But that's just something to bear in mind. Um is that some handlers struggle to keep up with it. And if they don't have solid verbals, that can mean the dog just takes whatever after the dog walk and they're not there to tell it what to do and you get eliminated. So again, that's just something to bear in mind. Um, so also is turns. So for example, you start by teaching a running dog walk straight. So a straight exit off, the dog just runs straight across the dog walk and keeps going in a straight line. Um, but then turns have to be taught as a, like two separate commands for a running dog walk. And I haven't even taught Arrow these yet because he had such low confidence. I didn't want to make him think too much on the dog walk. And I'm only just thinking about really teaching him them now. And I'm not even going to do it yet. I think he's nearly ready. But I don't want him to think too much while he's going over the dog walk. Because like I said earlier, he's, I still want him to get faster and more driven and confident over the dog walk on a straight exit so that he lengthens that stride. Um, and again, you can use a stride regulator, which I've been doing a little bit, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so yeah, uh, you have to teach, uh, well, a lot of top handlers teach soft turns off the dog walk and tighter turns off the dog walk. Very hard, very advanced, um, especially, you know, sort of hard turns, like right off the, say this is the end, right off like that, say the next piece jump is here. Again, that's that's very advanced and you probably won't see that in most courses but you often do see especially in the like five to seven courses um you would have a dog walk and then the next piece of equipment will be like here so you wouldn't want the dog to fly straight because it had completely missed that that line to the next obstacle so you'd want to be giving them a right right or something as they come over or if this is the dog walk and that's a jumper left left so they have to adjust their stride to turn off it as they're coming down but still hit the contact which is obviously different to just powering straight down into a straight exit um so that's another thing you need to consider you also have to teach to well you don't have to but really if you want your dog to have a good line um in the higher courses when courses are set up with angles off of the dog walk then really you need to be teaching to or four, if you want your really tight turn commands as well, um, turn commands after the dog walk as well for running. So that's another thing to consider. Um, so now for the running dog walks, you've probably heard people talk about a split. So a split is the position of the dog's feet on the mat um, and in the contact area. So for example, the dog if the dog has a front foot split, then their front feet, they would go down like this. And that would, the, the space between their two feet in the contact area would be the split. Um, so the wider apart the dog's feet, the more chance they are of getting at least one foot in the contact zone. So I've had this with Arrow. Sometimes a dog will, if they're pushing off with their back feet, they will be like that with their two back feet in like next to each other as they push off. But this means they're less likely by chance to always get the contact because it only gives them this it gives them no room to sort of like chance to get the contact if that makes sense whereas if they do this 
then this foot could be out of the contact zone, but their other foot could go like halfway into the contact zone. Whereas if they push off like this, that's five faults, if that makes sense. It's hard to explain, but you know what I mean. So most people would prefer a back foot split, but there's either back foot split or a front foot split. So again, it's the same thing, either front feet like this or their rear feet like this. Um, yeah, most favour the back foot split. And I'm not entirely sure exactly why this is but I have a few things that I think is the reason and why I'd probably prefer a back foot split which I will go through now so I'd say the back foot split is a more natural movement um it's I'd say it's less impact or it, it looks like it's less impact um I I'd assume it makes it easier for the dog to push off the contact um, and I'd say it also helps with more efficient turns. So more natural in the sense that the dog's sort of in a more natural upright posture than being like this right at the bottom and then having to come back up. Um, it's less impact because, again, it's a more natural position, I'd say. So the dog's more upright um, and usually dogs use their back feet to push off more than their front feet, um, which is why I said I think it's easier for them to push off because that and again with more efficient turns they're sort of more upright so they're not like down like this their back feet are on the contact and they're already looking up and ready to turn so they're probably already making their turn or starting their turn as their back feet go onto the contact if that makes sense so those are some of the reasons i think it is more efficient split to have but again I've seen amazing front foot splits. Uh, Arrow sometimes does a front foot, foot split. Um, again, it depends how they come across it, uh, how that how their muscle, what muscle memory they've got of striding over it and adjusting their stride. Um, so you can get a mixture of both, but when you're teaching the mat, you can choose to reinforce more and jackpot treats, which is give a lot of treats um, more for when they have their back feet on it than their front feet if you'd rather them have a back foot split later on when it's actually on the dog walk so that's a bit about splits so the a-frame now we'll move on quickly to the a-frame now there's not much to the a-frame um and if you teach a running dog walk straight away with a dog then usually a running a-frame comes kind of naturally i mean obviously you know what an a-frame looks like the contact's quite large it takes a lot for them to jump off uh, if they're running so the momentum sort of usually carries them down unless they just do one stride but naturally they usually do two strides um so if an a-frame is taught after a dog walk um often you put a stride regulator on so this encourages muscle memory like i just said so the dog just has to jump over the stride regulator so they jump over the stride regulator and land in a, in the contacts area and if we repeat this enough, they learn to do those two strides, even when the stride regulator is not there. It's just what they do every time they see an A-frame. Uh, you know, they prepare to do that as they go over before they even see the stride regulator, if they get used to it being there. So when you do take it off, they do their nice two strides and they're well in the contact zone. And also two strides is way less impact than just one. But if it's a massive dog, I suppose one could work. But usually it's two with arrow, it's two. Small dogs is usually three, I think. Again, it depends on the speed of the dog, but you can see some really, really short-legged dogs doing three strides down the A-frame. Uh, same for dog walk, really. Um, you know, usually it's two strides over the down plank. Uh, arrow, I'm trying to get him to do 
consistent two strides down the down plank and it's worked but he just I just want him to lengthen his stride like when he was unconfident he was doing three strides down the down plank of the dog walk um, which was making him steadier and also hit higher uh, but now he's doing his two strides because he's going faster with confidence um, which is brilliant and he can hit with two strides well but usually it's quite high so I just want him to extend his stride um, so again, this brings us to the fact that the dog walk can also be assisted via a stride regulator to encourage muscle memory. So again, you put the stride regulator where, you know, it, the position of the stride regulator depends on where the dog needs to add or remove a stride, which is completely dependent on the individual dog. Um, so you just need to see where you'd like your dog to take away a stride. Um, with arrow, we, we had the stride regulator at the top at the very top of the not where the apex is just a few bars below the apex of the down plank um, and that just encourages him not to put that extra stride in at the top which he was doing which is just to glide straight over the stride regulator which is one stride and then do one more stride to the contact and it just helps him go deeper because he's had to leap all the way over the stride regulator whereas before he was doing an extra stride at that top bit if that makes sense um so dogs sometimes adjust their stride depending on the handler's position also, which can be unreliable with a running contact. So, for example, again, it depends on the dog. I know a lot of dogs leap the running dog walk a lot more when the handler is in front of them. So, again, if the handler has to be really far ahead of the dog walk to get to the next position on the course, um, this can cause the dog to get, you know, want to chase the handler too much and just forget the criteria and leap over the contact and get faulted. Uh, other dogs like Arrow, usually the li the less confident the dog, um, they are, they, well, it never used to be like this with Arrow. He always used to be better if I was next to or behind him, he used to hit better. But this was when he was doing three strides and I was just trying to get him to understand the criteria. But now, now I did the stride regulator as well. When he's doing his two strides, he hits quite high. So I, he actually hits deeper the further ahead of the dog walk I am because he's ch it makes him faster. So he's chasing me. So the faster he goes over the dog walk, he does larger strides because he's going fast. He's moving through the air faster because he's chasing me ahead of him. So again, it sometimes with running contacts, the position of the handler just changes how the dog adjusts their stride. Usually when they're you know less experienced, but from my experience, that can be something that happens and talking to other people that where they are, whether they're behind, next to or in front, can change how the dog um, takes on that running dog walk. So that's another thing to consider. Um, so now we'll move on to stop contacts. I've done a lot of talking about running contacts. Who knew I could talk about running contacts for 20 minutes? Excellent. Anyway, stop contacts. So the dog runs to the contact zone and stops on it. So quite self-explanatory. Um, so these are often trained using the two on, two off method, which most of you are probably familiar with. So this is where the dog's front feet are on the ground in front of the down plank and their back feet are on the contact. Um, so this is how I taught Ethel. Well, funny, funny story with Ethel. See, the fun club I started training Ethel at when I started agility with her was uh, they didn't have criteria for that. They just didn't either know about it or think it was necessary. It was more of a fun club, um, not for people really wanting to compete as such. 
Um, and again, I think I explained this, how I, I didn't want to leave, you know, I was part of their team and stuff like that. So I was only very young. So I stuck with them with Ethel, which I'm now thinking, oh, I should have just gone to a competitive trainer like Lucy straight away with Ethel. But at the time I was sentimental. I was like, don't want to, don't want to leave. This is my childhood club, you know, um, I'd gone through it with Earl. But yeah, so Ethel didn't actually have any contact criteria when I taught her. I just took her over it and that was it. Um, God, voice break again. Um, but then I transitioned to teaching her stop contacts because at the time, again, running contacts weren't really very taught, you know, taught often. So I just did uh, two on, two off with her. Um, see, they are slower because the dogs, and it often makes dogs want to creep down the down plank, especially border collies who want to stalk. So you've probably seen a lot of border collies fly across the dog walk, get to the top of the down plank and then like creep down it to the contact because they're overthinking it. So because it's slower, they're overthinking it. And yes, dogs can overthink running contacts too, but it gives the dog more time to think with a stop contact because it's slower, which can have its advantages because more time to think means it's probably more reliable, if that makes sense. Um, you know, more time for the dog to think about the criteria. But yes, generally it is slower. It's very hard for a stop contact to beat a running contact. Um, so they are easy, but they are easier to train than a running contact. The criteria is a lot clearer and more obvious. And like I said, there's more thinking time for the dog. So that's another thing. Like I said, you can teach a two on, two off on anything really. Like my dogs know two on, two off on anything I put in front of them. Like that's just a command. Um, even Arrow does it obviously because of the seesaw. Um, but yeah, so they are easier to train and they usually, they're usually learn quite quickly, especially compared to running contacts again, because it's just a simpler, simpler behavior, basically. Um, it also gives handlers a chance to catch up and get into the next position on the course. So say a handler isn't as fast as, as their dog, uh, and they send their dog onto running onto the dog walk, um, or a frame even, then as the dog creeps into the stop position or even just runs quickly into the stop position because it's taught to stop they can not release the dog until they get where the dog is um or they can not release the dog until they've gone to the next position so for example you've got again tunnel dog walk around the back of a jump uh send the dog in the tunnel then command the dog walk um cue the dog walk and then the dog will stop in the position and the handler if they're behind can run all the way to that round the back while the dog's still in the stop position, then release and send round the back to avoid the dog going straight over the jump and getting eliminated. So that is a pro. Obviously, it's slower and probably not going to like win champ with like a three second pause like that. But it is a safer option at the end of the day. Um, and it's probably it just gives the handler more time to get there. Um, and it means you are not risking getting bowled over if you try for a blind or a front cross. <laughs> Um, yes, I haven't actually been there yet with a dog walk, but I have with an A-frame and I have with many tunnels. As you've seen, I have a little series going on of me nearly getting knocked out by Arrow, <laughs> going for those blinds. But anyway, so also turns don't have to be taught separately. Um, so obviously the dog stops at the bottom, so you could literally release it and turn and the dog will just come off it at an angle so if they're already on the contact you can release to wherever say the dog stops on the end you could release it back here and it won't get faulted because it's got the contact already so you don't need to teach turns separately you just teach that one two on two off command and then that's it <laughs> then you just turn the dog off 
wherever you want it to go after it's stopped in position. Uh, again, slower, but again, less to teach and easier, easy to teach and yeah, more just simpler for the dog really. Um, <clears throat> so I think a two on two off is harsher on the dog's joints and less natural, especially on the A-frame as it's so steep, like the gradient is ridiculous. So if they're, they're having to slow down on such a steep gradient, even on the dog walk, you know, um, that's applying pressure, especially in their front legs. Um, so that's, which is very unnatural and it's an unnatural position to hold. Often Ethel, because I used to teach, I used to do a two on two off A-frame with Ethel as well. And she would often almost do a handstand on the end of the A-frame. Like her back, her bum would like nearly go over her head because she was just literally like this. She's only a little dog. She was like, just stood like that. Um, and she ended up, her criteria completely slipped. And I think half of that was because as she got older, it got more uncomfortable for her to stop in that position. And she started bailing the seesaw, which is a separate issue as well. So I'm thinking that was to do with the stop being painful um, or not, not even painful, just uncomfortable, something she'd rather avoid if she could, which I don't blame her for, to be honest. But yeah, I do think that is the case. Um, and also the handler's position is unlikely to affect um, the contact performance if it's taught well and criteria is reinforced and you know, stuck to in the ring and stuff. So that's another thing. I mean, same with running contacts, really. If you don't re make sure the dog meets the criteria in the ring and you allow the dog, you know, if you allow the dog to get away with breaking criteria in the ring, um, then you'll probably see that the dog starts to miss the contact more, not stop, you know, even with the mat, miss the contact area entirely uh, if you don't correct that. Again, with unconfident dogs, it's a fine line. I've had it with Arrow. It's a very fine line between correcting wrong behavior and making them do it right and also knocking their confidence so it's dependent on the dog you know your dog do what's best for your dog but often um you can see criteria slipping um i found with running i found with running contacts in the ring if arrow does his two strides he's met criteria but that criteria is individual to arrow and myself so Again, someone else could have a different criteria that means their dog is more likely to hit the contact, if that makes sense. But I found that quite easy. So I just look for Arrow doing his two strides over the dog walk. Uh, and if he does that, even if he misses the contact, if he's done his two strides, I I carry on. And I mostly carry on anyway because of his confidence. But in for me, it's not, oh, you have to go to the bottom of the contact. That's not the criteria for my running contacts. The criteria is to do the two strides because when he's confident he gets the contact with two strides so it's just a case of repetition getting the confidence up and as long as he gets used to doing his two strides it will get there naturally if that makes sense whereas the stop the only criteria is stopping the two on to off position until you give your release command so you could say target dog stops okay criteria met but if even if your dog stops but you don't say okay and it releases itself and you don't put it back that's technically criteria broken so i think in a sense the criteria is harder to maintain in the ring in a way again it depends because with a running contact you might not be able to you know i'm i've got quite good at noticing when he does enough strides but when you know, when the dog's going really fast, you might not notice and not know when to put it back. So again, it's very dependent. Um, but yeah, you've got to be with either really, you've got to be quite consistent with that criteria. Otherwise, you've got to expect it to break. Like with Ethel, Ethel had a few show like a lot of her career where I couldn't put her back on 
if she didn't quite get a criteria, so all the GB tryouts, the actual events, stuff like that, um, you know, she'd get the contact, but not wait till I released her, but because I was at a GB event, obviously I wouldn't put her back on. But lots of those events in a row led her to think, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to meet this criteria. I don't have to wait to be released on the end of the contact um, because she never makes me do it anymore. So why should I? And she did end up just barely getting a lot of contacts um, after that period. So, and again, it's just dog dependent. She was a very bouncy dog anyway, but I did try to retrain her to a running dog walk, but she, and I, I tried doing this in the exact same way as I trained Arrow from scratch to do a running dog walk. And Ethel did not understand it at all. She did not get it. Whereas Arrow, obviously being from scratch, und- understands it brilliantly so again it's not even the method all the time it's the dog some methods work better for dogs so again it's kind of trial and error um where did i where did i even get to yeah so i put both both running contacts and stop contacts criteria can slip if let go in the ring a lot so that's something to consider they're quite equal on those lines there's always criteria to be met for any of the methods that you choose to use um so yeah some retrain stops to running and vice versa so some people would may also train a running, realise they can't keep up with the dog or the dog just runs, you know, pings it too often. So they retrain to a stop because they want more consistency in their dog. Um, others retrain from stop to running like I did with Ethel because I needed more speed out of her um, to, to get to where I wanted to be in, you know, competitively. Um, so retraining can be hard as the dog has to unlearn the old criteria and associate the equipment, so the dog walk, with the new criteria instead of the old. So not only do they have to learn a new skill, they also have to unlearn a previous skill. Uh, so that makes it more complicated. Some dogs are fine. Some dogs just don't get it. It just depends. Like Ethel didn't, but I know a lot of dogs that have been retrained and are, and are fine. Um, <clears throat> so some handlers teach both. And this is what I find. I just find this insanely impressive. So they teach a running command and a stop command. So I think this is quite difficult as the dog must rely solely on verbals. So the verbal must be given early enough as well. So say your running command is run and your stop command is target. So as the dog's before the dog's even got to the dog walk, as it's approaching it and just first getting a glance of it, you have to say the command so it knows how to approach. Running, it approaches full-on pelt thinking about the mat at the bottom thinking about the strides but if you say target then the dog just knows that it has to go to the bottom and stop in the two on two off position so you have to get the command in early enough otherwise the dog will be like "Well, well what am I doing with it do you know what I mean um so again you have to have really good verbals so the dog has to like sometimes I think that I could say literally bananas but if I'm there at a jump or pointing towards the jump and using my body language, why does this keep happening to my voice? Um, yeah, if I'm there using showing Arrow what to do, he'd do it anyway, no matter what I said. Sometimes I think because I can because I've always been able to get there. I've never had to rely solely on verbals. But again, that's something that I'm working on and is something that you teach more of as you progress just with experience. Um you know, once you've got the basics, you move on to harder things, uh, obviously, and that's quite difficult, you know, teaching object, object, obstacle, is it object? No, obstacle discrimination. (laughs) Um, That is quite difficult. Um, You often see it like with weaves next to a tunnel or a tunnel under a dog walk. So the dog has to listen to the command and act accordingly without help from you, you know, body language wise or physically being there to show it. Um, 
which is often helpful if you're you know can't keep up with the dog as such you've got a really fast dog you know you um i know when i went to imca the verbals are immaculate for the porker um the para handlers like they just this they stand so far away and they guide the dog around the course through purely just verbals and i just find it mega impressive um but yeah so that is another thing to consider if you're going to try and teach both again it's worth trying. I 100% think it's worth trying if you think that benefit you. But, um, you know, I find it extremely impressive when people have both. But that is something that you could potentially struggle with if you did do that. Um, you know, dogs can get confused between the two commands. But if it works, it gives handlers a plan B and a safe option in the ring. So examples of when you might want a safe option is, say, you're in champ. So you've got champ agility, champ jumping. Top 20 combined go through to the final. So you want to be consistent in those first two rounds. You know, you want to be, you want to get as as little faults as possible more than anything. Like even if you come 10th in both, that's way better than coming first in one and E in the other in a way. If that makes sense, I guess. I don't know if that's exactly right. If But, you know, my point is you want to, you really want two clears to get in the final. So you may want to opt for your target command. So you're more, you know, if you think your dog's more likely to get that and you can get places, you know, sort of make it more likely to be a clear round, uh, go for the steadier, safer, clearer option. Um, whereas in the final, then, you know, you just got to go for it in a final, haven't you? So then you could pull out your run command and your dog could do the running contact because you're just trying to get the fastest time. Does that make sense? Um, again, sometimes you go in the ring, don't you? Not just a safe option, but sometimes you go in the ring don't get you know you just don't make it to where you how you thought you would um when you walked it so this is where a plan b could come in you could be like oh my god i'm never gonna make it again forward thinking and shout your stop command to you know that's your plan b if you were planning on running it um but decided that it's too risky then you could just say your stop command um so stop contacts can be taught for all three contacts which is another good thing um because you can't teach a running seesaw because, well, people teach a seesaw where it bangs and they release themselves. But I would that's not the same as like a running dog walk or a running A-frame, is it? So I suppose if you teach a two-on-two-off on the dog walk and the A-frame, then you have to teach it on the seesaw anyway. So the criteria is the same for all three, which can potentially make it simpler for the dog and make the dog more likely to understand that criteria because it's you know, whenever it sees a cut goes over a contact, it's the same criteria. It just is what it is. Like they have to stop in that position on every contact. Um, whereas say for Arrow, having running dog walk and A-frame, um, often he went through a phase of flying the seesaw and he still does sometimes. So he either creeps up the seesaw or flies it at the moment. Um, he did a perfect one when I went grade five with him. So he is getting there. Um, I can see him getting there slowly, bless him. But... I think sometimes being a baby dog still and inexperienced and a lockdown dog, he doesn't know whether it's a seesaw or it's a dog walk. So it kind of looks the same, doesn't it, when they're going up to it? Um, so usually if he has a dog walk in the course first, which is his running, and then does a seesaw, he'll fly it because he's just done a running contact, if that makes sense. And now he has to do his two on two off. So again, he needs to get better at listening to push and see. So he needs to differentiate. That's what we're working on. Whereas... If, um, if say I taught target, yeah, and then I'll say target, but if I, if I taught target for all three contacts, 
then there's less likely for him to get confused if, uh, between them, if that makes sense. Um, again, it's a baby dog thing and you can work, you know, you work on it and then they get over it, obviously. But that is, again, just something to consider that can happen and is, I'd say it's pretty normal. I've seen a few dogs do it. Um, but yeah, that is another thing to consider. Um, but now we're pretty, pretty much done our comparisons and our facts part of the episode. So now I'll tell you my opinion. So I favour running contacts personally, as agility is only getting faster, the standard's just getting higher and higher, and they make you more likely to be competitive at top level, to be honest. So again, it depends on your, a lot of it depends on your goals, uh, what you actually want to achieve out of your agility journey. Um, You know, I am aiming for like Crufts, GB, Champ, stuff like that with Arrow, and the standard of agility is so insane now, and it's only getting more insane with every day. Um, I, you know, I need, I want and need him to be the fastest he can be, which I'm going to get through running contacts. So that is why I think running contacts are the best option if you want to be extremely competitive, um, especially, you know, at top level, but that's not ever. I know that's not everyone's goal. So that's just my opinion. Um, I also heavily believe in the fact that they are kinder to the dog's body and you never know they could potentially lessen the chance of injury and arthritis especially in the front legs in later life so as i said earlier talking about the a-frame especially stop contacts they're just there's just more force through the legs and uh it's very unnatural i mean a lot of agility is unnatural weaves are unnatural etc uh, even jumping in that sense and twisting is unnatural but the more natural we can make it the and obviously there's other things we can do like taking them to a physio um giving them joint supplement etc but i still think the running motion is more natural and kind of to the joints um and yeah so they're my main two reasons for being pro running contact versus stop contact um and yeah so i think that pretty much rounds up the episode episode yes episode goes episode guys <laughs> For God's sake. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed um, me talking all things contacts. I literally have been talking about contacts in agility for nearly 40 minutes. I didn't think I had that much contact within me. Um, I suppose I suppose it's a big topic. They're, you know, they're very important. Um, but yeah, uh, my contact journey with Arrow goes on. Um, Ethel's given me a bit of trauma, contacts-wise, because her little screamy, feisty, argumentative ferret inside of her, just, she would ping the A-frame literally from above the contact, land flat on her face and just carry on. And like, surely it's easy, I don't even know, surely it's easy for her to just, just run down it. But she just never grasped the running concept after being taught stops, um, bless her. But yeah, Arrow, Arrow's got a brilliant A-frame. He can do a beautiful seesaw um, and his dog walk's pretty cool. But again, most of it's just confidence now. Uh, but yeah, I have enjoyed and I'm enjoying my running contact journey. So I would recommend to a friend running contacts. But it is all individual. Hopefully you can use some of the points that I made in your own agility journey uh, and deciding what contacts to teach your dog. And if you do decide to teach both, then good job. I'm well done. You are cool <laughs> but anyway yeah so that wraps up the episode uh, if you have any more further questions about contacts or anything else at all don't be afraid to send me a message and follow me on all the socials i'll put them 
either here or here. I can't remember where I put them. I think it's here. Um, but yeah, follow me on all the socials. Pause in pursuit on most things. And then also Summer Ruby Clark on Facebook for my personal Facebook. Uh, but yeah, I'll put all the links there. Um, I need to start getting the links in the description as well. So you can just click on them. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm very active on all of the socials. So make sure to follow those. And I suppose I will see you all in the next episode. And I'm hoping the next episode will be a guest. I'm really hoping. I uh, need to inquire and sort that out. But this time next week, I'm hoping we'll have a guest on the podcast. So make sure you follow the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and subscribe on YouTube um, so that you don't miss that because I'm very excited about that. Um, now I've got quite a few episodes, you know, solo episodes out of the way and I'm quite comfortable now talking to the camera. Um, I'm hoping to get guests on more regularly now. I've got those first few solo episodes out of the way. But yeah, okay, so I'll see you all next Wednesday. Have a great week, guys. Bye!